from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Oh, hell yes. We are in the house. We are ready for a great show tonight. I welcome you from wherever you are checking in from, be it Nairobi or Japan or Canada. We love our Canadians or Chicago or even, even Scandinavia, the people that I come from. We actually have a Scandinavian guest with us tonight, and we have another guest who uh, is coming in from Nevada. So we've got some real interesting mix tonight, and I welcome you all. I've got KC over in the booth, and I've got Rob sitting next to me. Rob, how are you today? I'm good. You got the whole world in your hands tonight, my friend. <laughs> well, that may be a bit of a stretch, I don't but know. let's run with it. Okay, go. All right. We have two guests and uh, some interesting stuff. So please tune in and Rob, run with it. You got it, Sven, certainly. Uh, Kimberly wrote to us and said the following. She said, my boyfriend and I broke up because he had an affair. I later found out that when we started dating again after the breakup so I could gain his trust, he was still cheating on me with the same woman. By the way, we were in a long-distance relationship. We are living together now, and what bothers me even more is that he's still in contact with her sister and even wants me to invite her over for dinner because he thinks she's just such a cool girl. I wonder why he's interested in keeping this woman in our lives. It bothers me so much that he can't understand how uncomfortable this is for me, and I tried to explain it, but he thinks I'm overreacting. Hope you can help me with this one. Kimberly, good to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Pleasure is completely ours. Uh, my production staff picked this one out. Um, they get lots and lots of people writing into the show and that they thought this would be a particularly good one. So let's just dive right in. Okay, so he has, do I have it correct that he has cheated on you twice, right? If I'm going to take it from the start, um, we had a long distance relationship from 2019. And then we moved in together in April of 2020. Uh, and then in like uh, late September of 2020, we broke up and we had like this amazing relationship. You know, it was the perfect fairy tale, you might say. And um, then from out of nowhere, he just breaks up with me and he claims that he lost all of his feelings out of nowhere. So I was pretty traumatized from this. And uh, I just had this bad gut feeling that something is really off, but I couldn't figure out exactly why. And later I found out through his uh, friends because they actually liked me a lot, his friends and family. And they told me that he sent them uh, some videos um, on Snapchat of him and this girl in our house, Oof. in our bed. And I actually knew this girl. Okay, so just so I've got the timeline straight. From 2019 to 2020, you were long distance. Yes. And then in 2020, September 2020, you break up. Yes. And he says, you know, I've lost all my feelings for you. And when did you find out that he was with this other person? Um, I had kind of my suspicions because when he told me he wanted to break things off, I told him like, okay, let's just 
think this through maybe because I gave up everything. You know, I live, I come from a city where it's like seven hours away from here. Uh-huh. So I gave up, you know, my job, my apartment and everything to move down to him. Uh, so I was like, I'm going to my parents for a week so we can, you know, figure things out. Uh, what we really want. But when did you find out that he cheated? Two weeks after he broke up with me. And so this is October 2020. All right, that's cheat one. Like I said, he broke up with me then and I went to my parents. And when he took me to the train station, I found a wallet in my car. And I took it up and I saw this name and I knew this girl because she was for dinner at our place because she was dating his friend. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why is her wallet in my car? And he was like, yeah, I just saw her yesterday. I took her home. But I got this funny feeling because she's like a very, I don't know how you might describe it, like a very provocative <laughs> lady. Sure. Um, so I just got this off thing and I asked him, is it something between the two of you? And he said, no. I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I'm sure. And I said, okay, thank you for your honesty. But then I figured out, you know, he was cheating on me with her. Okay, so he was cheating. So then when did you guys get back together? How, what was the duration of time from when you found out he cheated to when you got back together? I don't know, because we started dating. So we had some contact when we broke up. Um, so we broke up in October, or I moved back home, actually, uh-huh. in October. Mm-hmm. I decided to move back home. And then... We started talking again in December of 2020. And he was he pursuing you or were you sort of asking him to come back together? It was more me, I think, because I was so heartbroken mm-hmm. and I missed him so much and I just wanted to get back with him, you know. And, and I don't mean to split hairs here. I'm just trying to sort of get into his mind. Do you have proof that he cheated while you two were together or did he do that after your supposed breakup? Yes, I have proof, but I haven't told him because I I did go through his old phone gotcha. that he had gotcha. at that time. And he told me I didn't cheat because I didn't do anything while you and I were together, but I have proof over text messages that he did. All right. that And that's good that we've established that. So then you get back... You, December 20 of 20, you're sort of trying to get him back because I missed him. I was pursuing him and I couldn't, it hurt so much to be apart from him. So then he comes back with you. And then when um, did you discover that he was still seeing this woman? Well, in December, his mom is calling me mm-hmm. and he's, she's telling me that his father has passed away. And I knew that his father meant a lot to him. And I'm really close with all of the family. So I was like, okay, maybe I should reach out to him. And so I did. And I gave him my condolences. And then when he got my text message, he just called me right up. And he was like, oh, my God, I miss you so much. I just wanted to call you all this time. I have been thinking about you so much, you know. So then we started to get this contact, you know, on long distance. Sure. That felt nice. You wanted to hear that. Of course. So then when did you guys actually get back together? He asked me to come to his father's funeral. It was like in February of Mm -hmm. 2021. Mm -hmm. So then we started dating. So we had like this long distance thing. And then we moved back together in August of 2021. We had actually been together for like, I mean, almost a year. And his mother is telling me 
that this girl was still involved with him. His mother. <laughs> yeah. It's about all the evidence you need. And so this is in August of 2022 that you found this out from the mother? Yeah, but they weren't seeing each other at the time. I just, uh, she just confirmed to me that they were seeing each other like in the spring of 2021, but they uh, like broke up, you might say in April or something like that. But I mean, we were still dating at that time. Right. Yes, you were back together after the funeral. You started dating at the yeah. funeral and after the funeral, that was February 2021. Yeah. You find out that they broke up in April of 2021. Yeah. So there's at least a couple of months there where he's got two women going. Yes, and he says to me that he has broken up with her during that time. And he specifically said he has broken up. Okay, so that means we have two hard dates, two hard evidence of cheating. All right. Yes. And then in August, 2022, his mom, his mom, that's as you, you might as well have found them in bed together when your own mother is ratting yeah. you out. It's like, oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks for the loyalty. Fuck you on your deathbed. You can pay your own nursing home bill. Yeah, that's um, what it felt like. So then August, 2022, you find out, find this out and uh, from his mother. And did you confront him with that? Yes, I did. Not right away, but um, like when I found out, I was actually at work when she told me this. And, uh, you know, I was shaking because sure. I was so mad. Of course you were. And she was like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I just found this out. Mm -hmm. I'm not okay. Okay, so that was August of 2022. And we right now are in February of 23. So what basically has happened from August of 2022 to August of 2023? If you could just sort of sum it up for me. We're still together, we're living together, but I just have this feeling, you know, when we first got back together, when I moved down here, mm -hmm. I was really happy again because we basically had like this new honeymoon phase, you know, we're stronger than ever, we got this through, you know, but after like one or two months, I noticed that um, I haven't been feeling so good, I my anxiety is increasing. Mm. I feel like I'm not taking care of myself anymore. I'm really insecure and all this stuff because um, just like a couple of days ago, I noticed that he started following a new girl on social media and she had all these like provocative pictures of her mm -hmm. that he was liking. And I noticed that she followed him back mm -hmm. and I confronted him about it. And I said, I'm really uncomfortable about all of this, you know, because of our past. My boyfriend, he has some drug issues, mind you, he's an addict. Okay. And he was like, yeah, but she has some drug issues and I have to talk to her about it, you know. And I was like, well, you can talk to like a professional about it or, you know, whatever. I don't buy that, you know. Right. And he got really mad at me because I was like, can you please remove her? Because I'm really uncomfortable when you have this kind of contact with her. And he just got mad and he's calling me insecure. And this kind of pattern has repeated during our relationship, I feel. Of him calling you names, calling you insecure, him blaming you or something like that? Yes. Okay. And so as of right now, the two of you are still together. And the latest you said is that he's interested in, uh, we're living together now, and what bothers me even more, 
now is that he's in contact with her sister still and even cool. wants me to invite her uh, for dinner because he thinks she's such a cool girl. Yes. Um, I wonder why he's interested in keeping this woman in our lives. It bothers me so much that he can't understand how comfortable this is for me. And I tried to explain it, but he thinks I'm overreacting. Okay, just so I'm clear, Ooh. he wants to have <laughs> his ex-girlfriend's sister over for dinner because he thinks she's really cool. Yes. Okay, just out of curiosity, and I know this is in, in on one hand, it doesn't matter, whatever, but uh, is she a pretty woman? Yeah, she's a stripper. She actually <laughs> lives in the States. <laughs> oh, God. So can you see like this pattern oh, here of these weird Kimberly, and it, it, Yeah, and it's not even just a pattern. It's just this guy's a fucking dog. This guy's a dog. I'm telling you, he is working you over. And what scares me the most about this whole equation, Kimberly, is mm. that you have a man that you know, and I use the term man loosely. Yeah. Just out of, out of curiosity, how old is he? 29. He turns 30 this year. Okay. And how old are you roughly? If you don't mind my asking. I'm 28. 28. Okay. Yeah. No, you have two confirmed cases. One where you have hard evidence and the other, you have the word of his mother. Yeah. And you are, but what concerns me is that you have hard evidence that someone has cheated on you twice and that you're staying in the relationship. I know. Now you did nothing to cause those. I am in no way blaming you. Okay. I'm not saying that but I'm saying you're staying with someone who continues to hurt you and who continues to blame you and say, oh, you're insecure, you're the problem. And you just admitted to me, you said, you know, Sven, I am somewhat insecure and I found myself missing him. There's nothing wrong with being insecure. That's okay, there's no crime there. But when we allow someone to keep hurting us and we know they're lying to us and you said you have sort of this gut instinct and that your health sort of changes and stuff and you can sense things, and it turns out you have evidence to prove the things you can sense. I want to ask you um, respectfully, why do you continue to stay with someone that you know has broken your trust twice, that you know has lied to you twice, that you know has taken advantage of and hurt you and is now trying to get a third person, a stripper, into your house and he's pursuing another woman on Instagram or whatever it is, why do you continue to stay with someone who makes you feel so uncomfortable and hurts you? I think there are multiple reasons for why I do that. I am like this kind of people pleaser, you know. Uh, and also I have preached a lot of him to him about, you know, uh, that you fight for love. I really believe in true love. You know, my parents have been married for 30 years and they are still in love. Wait, and your dad cheated on your mom? Uh, no. Oh, wait, not twice or just not once? <laughs> uh, never. <laughs> oh, oh, so your dad and, but your mom must have cheated on your dad. No. Oh, so nobody cheated on anyone there. No. Nobody broke the trust by cheating. I see. So fighting for a relationship when the other person isn't fighting for a re the relationship, that's not what your parents mm -hmm. did. They were both working on the relationship. They were both being honorable. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that. But also, like, their relationship weren't really perfect. And I have just realized actually something because I have bought your book and I do a lot of journaling. And I had this breakthrough actually a couple of days ago that I get the same feelings in my relationship as I got as a child with my parents. 
Say more. Because they were actually fighting a lot. <laughs> and my ma- my mom was drinking quite a lot when we were younger. And she was very like jealous and insecure in her behavior. And I was kind of this mini therapist to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have noticed that I feel like I'm the same way in my relationship. I feel like I have to solve all these issues. I have to fix people. And, and because that's normal. Yeah. That's what you had growing up. You wouldn't know what to do with the relationship. Is this accurate or inaccurate? And I could be wrong. You wouldn't know what to do with a relationship where that was actually sort of smooth. Yeah. I feel like pretty helpless and very indecisive. In one sentence or less, what is the real question that you are most struggling with with regard to your relationship with your boyfriend? What really does it boil down to? I'm constantly questioning myself. uh, When is it time to let go? Like, what's the sign of it? Or what's the sign of if I should work on it? Because I'm afraid to regret my decision. Right. Okay. And that's an honest question. That is a very fair question. I'm going to be a little more specific in my question of you. What is the question you have for me? Wow, that's a tough one. I think I want some honesty. Okay. Like some clear eyes on this situation because I feel like mine is fogged up. You know, my parents, they absolutely hate my boyfriend, by the way. They really don't like him. None of my friends like him. Um... So they have been pressuring me actually to break up with him. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is that I noticed the more they pressure me, the more I turn to him. That's right. So I'm in this like limbo between my family and my boyfriend. And I feel like I will disappoint someone no matter what I do. Right. You are going to disappoint someone. You are. And one of the difficulties, if you've been a people pleaser uh, in, in life, is that you've got to reach the point where you're okay with some people not being happy with you because otherwise you're spending your whole life trying to make everyone happy and you become miserable. Yeah, and that's exactly where I am. Absolutely. And uh, and so what's interesting is I, I have to ask you one more question before I give you my honest feedback, okay? Why did his mother tell you that he had been fooling around on you? Why did she say that? It was actually an accident because we have a really good relationship. He his mother and me, mm-hmm. and uh, actually my boyfriend and his mother, they don't have a great relationship. She was at my work, and we were just, like, talking. Mm-hmm. And that spring where we got together, yep. uh, we have uh, three dogs together, and two of them um, had an accidental mating, you might sure. say. Sure, And so he had puppies. And then... I remember this time, you know, because I was visiting him when he had them. And she told me this other girl's name, you know, like, oh, when the puppies were born, she was there. And I was like, what? She was there? Ah, and that was it. And she was like, yeah, you didn't know. And I was like, no, I didn't know. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, it was an accident that it slipped out. All right. That's fair. And just as a message to all parents before I say what I want to say to you, Uh, Kimberly, and that is to all parents, this is a great lesson in salesmanship. 
And the lesson in salesmanship is when you are a parent, if you are hard selling your children, very often you are driving them away from the very message you're trying to get through that often children will, or adult kids, or plain old adults that you happen to give birth to 45 years ago, whatever, that oftentimes our children will dig in their heels when we hard sell them, when we try to tell them what to do, they'll dig in their heels and they'll go back to whatever we don't want them to do. Sometimes the soft sell is a little better. Sometimes being a farmer and just planting a few seeds and then backing the fuck off and let the person come to their own conclusions because sometimes pushing is not a good sales technique. Now to you, Kimberly, you asked for a bit of honesty, so I'm gonna give you a bit of honesty. I have been where you are. I have been cheated on. I have cheated on someone. So I got that strike against me. I'm gonna just tell you point blank, he's fucking lying to you at every fucking turn and he is capitalizing he is taking advantage of the fact that you are insecure and you admit you're insecure and he knows it and he can bulldoze you he can steamroll right over you by calling you names and so you start thinking about how you're you are wrong and so on and so forth i would not trust him he doesn't have a good relationship with his own mother, which isn't always the litmus test, uh, but that's not a good sign. And all your friends don't trust him. I would not trust him. But here's why I wouldn't trust him. He cheated on you. And he denies it. And then he cheated on you again. Yeah. And that's all the evidence you need. And so when you went back to him in December of 2020, after he had cheated and you sort of wanted him back, he won at that point. He had all the power at that point. Yeah. Yep. And that's when you sacrificed your power. And and I'm not I'm not disparaging you for that. Okay. I'm not putting you down for that. Okay. I'm because I've been there. I get it. It's when you really want someone, it's hard to say no and you really want them and it's hard to be alone. And the fear in being alone is that all those voices from my past and all the shit from that past and how I'm no good and maybe I'm not any good and maybe no one will love me. All, and it's scary in the world being alone. When we're alone, all of those voices come rushing up and they tumble around in our head and it's scary and it's hard. And so if I have someone who's here with me, even if they're mistreating me, at least I have someone. And the mere fact that this person is here, the simple fact that this person is here is a counter message to what I was taught about myself as a child, that I'm no good or I'm unlovable or I, you know, I don't matter or that I have to people please, I have to keep giving and giving in order to make you like me, okay? But if I have someone here, it says, hey, I must have some worth. But the minute they walk away, oh, see, I'm no good. No one wants me. Here I am alone again. And I very often say that for women, especially men too, but a woman's real superpower, a real superpower is when you're no longer afraid of being alone. Once you're no longer afraid of being alone, you don't tolerate shit. And the first time they cheat, it's like, fuck you, you're gone. Fuck you. Because in all honesty, he did it again and he's doing it right now. He is in some way, the fact that he's trying to get a stripper into your home and you said, uh, it bothers me so much that he can't understand how uncomfortable this is for me. Oh, I don't think it's an issue of that he can't. He absolutely can understand how hard it is for you. He understood when you guys got back together how hard it was for you and it was hard for him and I miss. So he understands feelings. It's not that he can't understand how you're feeling. He doesn't want to because he doesn't have to because he knows that you're gonna stay. Yeah. He knows that you're a pushover. He knows that all he has to do is force you and he'll get what he wants. He'll get you and then he'll get a stripper in your bed and maybe he'll even get the stripper in your car 
And then he'll maybe get this other woman on Instagram. In all honesty, in all honesty, I don't know your boyfriend, whatever. He's a fucking piece of shit. Who does that? That's not a fucking relationship. That's him being a fucking asshole is what it is. And I'll be very, very honest to you. You said, when do you work or when do you stop working and walk away? You stop working when the other person hurts you more than twice. In other words, if they aren't investing in the relationship and they're still hurting me as well, why would I stay? Now, if they're investing and I'm investing, there are going to be times when we hurt each other in in relationships. My father always used to say, anytime you have two people or more in a relationship or in a community, there's always going to be the bumping of elbows and the bruising of ribs. There's got to be room for forgiveness. But he's not even looking for forgiveness. He's just saying, no, you're the fucking problem. Fuck you. You're the problem. Fuck you. And you're like, oh, maybe I am. Maybe I am. Yeah. No. Usually I apologize to him when we have this kind of conversations. Kimberly, this is done. This relationship is done. It's done. And the the, the most important part in order, and whether you do it today or do it two weeks or two months from now, it has to happen because he is going to repeat this cycle. And I have had clients who have been cheated on six, seven, eight, 12, 13 times, no lie, by the same guy Mm. or by the same woman. It's not always the guy, yeah. right? And and at some point you realize this is insane, but we are so desperate that we have to have this person. And that's why the most important part, and you can do it before you leave him. You can start the process. You said you got my book of doing the work of going inside and working on yourself and getting out all of that pain and all the BS that you were taught about yourself in childhood, because that's what's making you so insecure. That stuff that's deep inside you is what's making you afraid of being alone. But Kimberly, you have to abort this relationship. You do what you want. I don't, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Um, I mean, I, I know it sounds like I am, but you asked, you asked, okay. Yeah. When it's right for you, I'm telling you, this relationship is not going to repair. You are gonna pump in more and more and more and more of yourself and it's not gonna get anywhere. And if I had right now, if we had a live feed of people listening to this podcast, you would get a lot of people right now over the age of 30, over the age of 40, over the age of 50, who have been right where you are now at 28. And they'd say, girlfriend, get out. Yeah. Miss, run away, run away, run away. They'd, they'd be saying, because they've been where you are. That's not just them offering an opinion. They've been where you are and your pain will only be worse. I know it's gonna be hard to leave, but it's only gonna be worse if you stay and you catch them again. And then you catch them again. And it's not that, gee, maybe I should work on it more. You're terrified to leave. That's what this is really about. Yeah. You're terrified to leave and you're terrified to be alone. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, you are. Yeah. I am actually very terrified that when I leave, because somewhere in the back of my mind, I already knew that this relationship is over. Yeah. I have actually started to like pack some of my things. Good and you, you know, I have like this escape plan. Good for you. But I suspect that my partner might be like, what you call a narcissist Mm -hmm. and I have been in so much denial about it because this term is thrown luck I understand so much yeah but I really think he is and some people in my uh, circle say that he might be dangerous even then you need to have a plan and it's yeah it's good that you have a plan and I'm glad to hear you're already thinking of moving on and that this relationship is done and Kimberly I just want you to know that I support you 100%. And I know I speak for our listeners who are saying, and KC is in the booth right now. And she's like, get out. She's doing this. Yeah. She's saying, get out, get out. And I know I speak for a lot of our listeners when we say, we just want you to be safe. 
but we also want you to get the hell out of that relationship. So get your plan together and get out, but then you've also got to do the work on that stuff inside of you yeah. so that you're able to learn to be alone. And so many people, when they're forced to finally face being alone, when they do the work, they discover they begin to calm down inside and they discover that being alone is okay. Not that you want to be that way forever. I'm not saying that. But once you get used to that, then you're not going to tolerate shit in your future relationships. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the funny part is when we were broken up, mm-hmm. I started to really work on myself and I was in great shape and I had this great company and That's everything. Awesome. awesome. And all of that just fell apart when we got back together. That's right. And there's the lesson right there that when we're with the wrong person, our lives get worse. Yeah. When we're with the right person, our lives blossom. Well, Kimberly, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You were so open and what a story. And I know that I speak for so many of my listeners when I say, please go with our blessing, get the hell out and and start to build up yourself because you're a fantastic woman and you don't ever have to tolerate this crap in any relationship. So thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Sven, for your guidance. I really appreciate it and I take it to heart and I hope that I will be out very soon of mm. this chaos. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. And it's great to have our first Swede on the show. I love the Swedes. They yeah. are my people. So thanks for coming on, Kimberly. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You betcha. And we'll be right back with more badass counseling after a short break. My wife pushed me to watch this guy's TikTok videos, so I finally caved in and holy crap, blew me away. I started watching more, and every time he opens his mouth, I get blown away in a whole new way. So I finally bought his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. To say I got an ass kicking is an understatement. Much needed. It was like having my own personal tough therapist who just gets it. So go do yourself a favor. Get There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It's powerful stuff. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back. We have just spent a little time chatting with Kimberly, and now we have another guest uh, tuning in right now from Nevada, and Angie is uh, here with us. Rob, tell us about Angie, if you would, please. I'd be delighted. Angie wrote and said, I was wondering if you'd be open to chatting sometime soon. Looks like you are, Sven. She says, I'm in the middle of four chronic injuries that affect all four of my limbs and have deeply affected all other areas of my life feeling sort of disconnected from who I used to be and lost on where to go and who to be next. I'd be open to being on the podcast. If you think our chat could help others like me, let me know. Angie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sven. Good to be here. Pleasure is completely ours. Um, Let's go ahead and dive right in. Um, You said that you have four chronic injuries that affect all four of my limbs and have deeply affected all other areas of my life. First of all, I want to say I'm so sorry Uh, for the chronic injuries. Thank you. Just very briefly, can you tell us what it is? Yes. So I have chronic tendonitis in both of my wrists, which are really kind of my forearms, but affects the whole wrist forearm area. And then I have metatarsology on both of my feet. And I will say I'm just starting to get out of that. Thank God. So it's definitely more wrist heavy. And I've noticed that's affected my life a lot more. Mm. 
but just coming out of the foot thing, you know, I haven't been able to walk very far at all. Yesterday, I actually did my first mile, which was very exciting. Congratulations. But um, before that, like hardly able to grocery shop. And I brought myself out of a very scary place with my wrist where it's been way back in the beginning of it. I wasn't able to take a drink of water, like bring the cup to my mouth or brush my teeth in the morning. Like I would find myself laying in bed as long as possible because that was the only time in the day when my wrist wouldn't hurt. But that was about a year and a half ago. So I've definitely crawled out of that and I'm a lot better now um, physically, but I've noticed through that whole time, it just affecting my entire life. And I'm in a place now where I'm just like, when am I going to be normal again? When can I go back to um, the vibrant young person I used to be? Uh, well, let me ask you. So you said that the foot issue is getting better. Is that correct? And it looks like you're going to be coming out of the, the feet aspect. Is that right? Right. So that's looking a lot better. Um, uh, what do the doctors say? Will you come out of the wrist thing or is this a permanent fixture in your life or what? I've had many doctors. I've asked them all that question of how long this is going to be. They all tend to try to dodge it one way or another, um, mostly because it's just so difficult. It's so dependent. Or tendonitis is so dependent on so many different life conditions. And I've had to change around pretty much every area of my life to try to get out of this as soon as I can. Mm. I've had one doctor, my most recent one, give me kind of a rough rough estimate of May that I'll be starting to getting back into some of the sports I was doing before and then maybe August to full recovery. Oh, so full recovery is possible. So this isn't, I'm going to be an old woman with the same exact issue and I've had it for the last seven years sort of thing. Right. I think think it's something that will always be a part of my life, Mm -hmm. but which is so hard to accept, let alone say out loud. Okay, what does it feel like to say it out loud? You said, let alone say it out loud. What does it feel like to say it out loud? What does it feel like? Scary. What's the scariest part about this being long-term? It feels like not real. Not real. What? What's the scariest part yeah. about this being your long-term situation, if it were to come to that? I guess not being able to be fully myself again. And that's actually what you talk about in this is, you know, I've lost who I used to be and who am I next and so forth. What is the biggest thing that you have lost of you as a result, specifically, if if you were to have the, the wrist forearm aspect, what is it, the, what's the biggest part of you that you would lose potentially if this were a permanent situation, the wrist and arms? I'm going to say pole dancing. Badass. I've been a... <laughs> I've been a huge dancer my whole life and it's been my outlet and I discovered pole dancing about three years ago and that's actually what I got the injury from was from a pole dancing accident. Really? All right. That, that sucks. I lost, I lost my outlet. That sucks. All right. Okay. Now the doctors say potentially full, you know, recovery by, you know, early fall, something like that. And let's say worst case scenario, end of the year or something like that, but it's still not going to be a permanent thing. But if it were to be a permanent thing, the thing that I think I would miss most is my outlet pole dancing. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, fair. That's fair. So you're stuck with this situation now and you've been stuck with it for a while. What else you had said, I'm feeling sort of disconnected from who I used to be. So apart from the pole dancing, if you were to really sum up what you've lost and who you used to be, what really are we talking about? I just feel so stripped away from my identity. Like I used to be very vibrant and like the one to go do and try all the things with all the friends and 
go out there into the world and just live. I was a very lively, active person. And now I feel like I've almost had to like shrink into my shell and like just hunker down and try to get back to full mobility so that I can do and be everything that I've been and done before. Gotcha. And the injury, this injury has caused you to lose uh, that. And so the desire is to get that back. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Okay. If that's true, then um, you said feeling sort of disconnected from who I used to be and lost on where to go and who to be next. You say, I'm lost on who to be next, yet you just got done saying, I want to recover and go back to who I was. Help me understand. I think it's always a difficult like gray line when you're talking about being someone who you used to be because almost in a way, I feel like that person is dead to me in a way. Oh, Wow. Not in like a bad way at all, but I've been so f- far gone from her. She's been like tucked away in the deepest, darkest corner of my closet for so long. I'm not sure what she's going to look like when I pull her out. How long has this been going on? Just so I'm aware. I guess two years, two years. now. So in a way, I also feel like I'm being robbed of my early 20s. True. True. And like, uh, let me ask you a, yeah. a hard question. And I'm not trying to be offensive by asking. Just a straight question. And that is... How has this awful thing that has robbed you of your personality and what you used to be and you had to put her in the back of the closet or she's dead, you used two different analogies there. In one case, she's alive but hiding. And in another case, she's dead, but we sort of get the image. Um, In what way has this death, this injury, this becoming immobilized, in what way has it been the single greatest blessing of your life? How was this the best fucking thing that could have ever happened to you? And I know it's an offensive question, but I want you to really play with it. Okay. I think, well, I have actually told people it's nice to slow down, especially, I think I specifically remember telling a family member at Easter because, she, okay, well, she was a bit older than me is what I was going to say. And so I think it's um, it's easier for an older generation to look back and say, you know, I really wish I would have slowed down at this time of my life. So I, I've said, and I do believe that this is a blessing to just be able to slow, like take a halt and kind of go through things a little slowly before I was, I was really fast paced and like definitely the hair and the tortoise and the hair kind of story. Um, But I feel like now I've been taking it slow for so long and it's so tedious and monotonizingly slow. And I'm at the tail end of this wrist thing. Um, or at least it feels that way, but it's like one week, it's a great week. And I'm like, I'm going to get out of this. Okay. Like we're going to be fine. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And then when I have a bad week, it's really bad. And I'm like, this might never leave my body. And I'm like disappointed in my body. And it's just, um, a big back and forth. What do you do when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling despondent, when you're feeling like there's no hope, what do you do? Yeah, so that's that's tough because there's not a lot of things that I can do with my wrists. Like I I've tried journaling. Like I can't put pencil to paper when my wrists are feeling bad and my wrists and my emotions are so heavily connected right now. Like when my wrists are feeling bad, I'm feeling bad because I'm, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm I feel very lost in it and it's like I almost feel like there's not a lot that I can do. Sometimes I turn to my boyfriend Actually, I usually always do, but there are also times when he's gone at work and those are my worst days. Uh, That's understandable. And let me ask you, and it may be a dumb question, but are you able to type at all on a computer, that sort of thing? 
Yeah, I can I can type on a computer, but I can only do like three hours a day, sometimes less. And that's pretty much all consumed by my work time. Ah, I see. Oh, so your work requires you to be at a computer and typing and so forth. Right. I'm working remotely so I can travel. Gotcha. Um, because that is, uh, if you have extra energy in your wrists and forearms, um, you know, I, a lot of people journal, uh, on their computer screen. I do at times where I'm just typing, typing rather than pen and paper. So it's another option. And I hear you when you say, but you know, so much your work consumes your ability to type. I get it. Totally get it. And, uh, does it help when you talk to your boyfriend or when you talk to someone, does it help to get some of the feelings out? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And so let me ask, do you have anyone else in your life that you can talk to that you trust and who listens well, doesn't make it about themselves, shit like that? Shay. You do? Yeah, Shay. Oh, Shay. Shay, okay. um, <laughs> Your friend? My best friend, yes. Gotcha. And then family, of course, too. And why have you enjoyed slowing down, Angie? Or haven't you? I think it's been nice to... I think it's been nice to get a bigger picture. Well, I think I liked it more in the beginning than I do now. Mm. Um, I think it had been nice to get a bigger picture of my life and just kind of um, change the pace from such, I was going through life pretty fast and then slowing down and looking around more often was really nice, especially at first. But now because it's been so long into this injury, it's, and in the beginning, I was so optimistic. And now it feels like I'm taking on more of a pessimistic role, um, not in life, but in regards to my injury. And um, it's just been so monotonizing and tedious to kind of go through the same things that I know is good for me with my wrist, um, but not get to do some of the things that I love. And I can understand why you feel like you're being robbed of your early 20s and so forth. Completely understand that. And yet it's forced you to face adversity. And I'm not just trying to look on the sunny side, that the truth is at different times in life, we have, I had a client just today who had a lot of adversity, really extraordinary adversity from age four until age about 10, like off the chart shit. I had another client earlier today uh, that hadn't had any adversity till this woman hit about 63 years old and then life came crashing down in a million ways. And she feels like she's being robbed of her retirement. That four to you know ten year old back then, he looks back and it's like, what the fuck? My childhood, poof, gone. And this is unfortunately the suck ass part of life is that we get robbed of things. That pain comes, hardship comes. We get sting. A whole generation got their high school graduations robbed from them, or got college robbed from them by COVID. And and so I totally get it, and it sucks. It sounds like, if I'm hearing you correctly, it makes you want to go fast again. Is that right? Yeah, it does. And and when you are going fast, knowing that it could be, you know, maybe six months or let's say, let's say a horrible case scenario, nine months or 12. Okay. But it's a year. Okay. So at that point, it'll be, it will have been three years. Okay. Um, what are you most looking forward to doing again once you're back on track and you've got your strength back and so forth? Other than the pole dancing, what are you most looking forward to? Or is it just that? Well, pole dancing, training for pole dancing, I suppose, on the side and like being able to structure my whole training program and um, go to like what my body's limits are supposed to be instead of like the 30% of that, which is what it is at now. And then um, 
I guess also just being able to work on the computer and get lost in it and just continue to work until the work is done instead of until the timer things. Mm, gotcha. And the timer because of your wrists and forearms, is that right? Right. So I have, yeah, a timer that goes and I can only work until that's done. Otherwise I know I'll feel pain later. And so what's the, in your write-up that you sent to my production team, you said, you know, I've got these injuries. It's deeply affected everything, which is totally understandable. I can't even imagine what that's been like. But then you say, I'm feeling sort of disconnected from whom I used to be, which actually makes sense because you were vibrant and active and uh, your classes and the pole dancing and just life. It sounds like you've still been traveling. You said, I, you know, I work so that I can travel. So you've still been traveling. Is that right? Right. I ha I'm lucky enough to have a wonderful boyfriend that does all the driving. Nice. Nice. <laughs> What's not to love yeah. about that? Um, but then you said, I'm lost on where to go and who to be next. Let me ask you this. Which is harder for you, the struggle of who to be next or the struggle of having to be stuck in not me? And how do I survive another six months or another year? Which is harder for you, feeling disoriented about where you want to go? Or it's like, how the fuck do I just keep doing this shit for another six months when it's already been two years? Which is harder for you? Definitely the second. Definitely sticking it out. And and so let me ask you, what above all else has most enabled you to stick it out this far? Yeah, I guess just do everything I possibly can to get out of it faster. I almost feel like I've done all the things now, but it's like, I'm still trying new things. I just tried cryotherapy not too long ago, which has actually been wonderful. You said, you said cryotherapy, right? The cold stuff. Yeah, okay. cryotherapy. Okay. It's been crazy. I'm just sticking to a routine and um, yeah, just trying everything I can to get better, like making as many changes as I can. And I know each change gets me closer. And so even though um, you've been depressed and despondent and it's been hard and it's been melancholy and it's been monotonous, you've been still pecking away at it little by little, little by little, doing everything you can to get better, to get better. Am I hearing you correctly on that? Yeah. And so, and then you said, and sticking to a routine and what is it about a routine you know, uh, amid these medical issues, what is it about a routine that has been so good? Sucking away time, but I don't want to be like, like flushing time down the toilet, but it's like, it uses up time. So yeah, like, like in the morning, I'll have like a two hour to three hour routine that I kind of like use to get myself up and at them. And then it's like, another two hour routine that uh -huh. I do kind of after dinner before bed. And so it kind of like uses up all that free time. Gotcha. It chews up the time. So you're not just sitting there on your butt bored, watching the clock tick by or watching, you know, Jeopardy right. and law and order reruns all the time. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, and so the routine, sorry for myself. I hear you. Okay. Yeah. And so the routine and doing everything you can to get better are really what have gotten you through the last two years. And you said it's, the idea of getting having to get through six more months or another year, and I'm just saying that worst case scenario, right? But having to do more of that is worse, is harder for you than thinking about what you'll do next. Because it sounds like you have a pretty good idea. I know what I want to do next. I want to get back in it. I want to pole dance. I want to get back into my classes. I want to be active again. So you're, it sounds like you're actually really fucking clear on what you want to do next. Uh, is that accurate or inaccurate? Yeah, I guess so. I guess, well... When I wrote that text to you, it was more of a, 
Uh, I was kind of in a dark place. Understandable. And, um, Understandable. I think, yeah, at, at that time, I was kind of like, who am I going to be? And it was kind of a slippery slope. But I, I guess I am pretty clear on that. And then let me ask you, uh, if the hardest part is going to be just the day in and day out and the monotony and so forth of dealing with this significant medical issue that now appears to be getting better, but it's going to take some time. What is the, other than the routine and doing everything you can, you're sticking to your routines and doing everything you can to get better and get out of it. What is the single biggest thing that needs to happen, particularly inside of you in order to make the next three months or six months or nine months uh, to not only just survive it and get through, but to actually make it somewhat crazy as it sounds pleasurable. I guess finding more passions. Finding more passions that I can physically do right now. Just off the top of your head, change your mind tomorrow. What are one or two passions that you've maybe never done before? Or maybe you have, but maybe never done before, and you've thought I'd actually like to try that. What are they? One of them is definitely yoga. I could see myself getting more into that. I've done it like once or twice a month lately. Cool. And it's definitely helped. And you like it. Mm, yeah. Good for you. I love it. And it's hard. I mean, yeah. yoga's fucking hard. Wow. Okay. And so one passion might be yoga. And what's one more? Different levels. Yeah, there I'm are different levels. Level. No, it's all hard <laughs> for me. Um, I'm a wuss. Uh, but what's one more passion that might actually get you excited about life again a bit? Mm -hmm given your limited, you know, uh, abilities. It's hard to not find something active. Mm -hmm. um, wheel thrown pottery. Yeah. Where you like sit down and it's like the wheel is spinning. And what's you, the appeal yeah. for you about wheel thrown pottery? I gravitate towards things that are circular for some reason, like the pole dancing and then wheel thrown pottery. Um, I like the idea that it's continuous kind of like life and it just keeps going no matter um there, there is no end and there is no beginning. Uh, I wonder if that would almost, if there's some way that might actually be soothing for your forearms or if that would hurt too much. But boy, that's wonderful to consider looking into. Um, so yeah. you've got two things there. Two things that you don't, with the, especially with the wheel thrown pottery, it's like, I've thought about it before and maybe I'd try it. Well, how the hell do you know unless you give it a shot, Right. This is true. Right. And the yoga, you already know you like it. And so really you're at a bit of a juncture. And the truth is I have a lot of clients and friends and acquaintances and so forth who have all sorts of setbacks. And I am in no way trying to minimize this setback. I can't even imagine what it's been like to have the shutdown of your feet and your arms. Sorry, I can't imagine that. And how debilitating. I consider myself pretty active. So I, I totally feel for you on that. Um, and you've you figured out a way to survive two years. And I got to say, I admire your strength and I admire you changing yourself to be able to get through those days. And I still got to work. I still got to get better, uh, you know, and, and get myself ready to get better and so forth. And I got to have my routines and you've adapted. Darwin never said it's, you know, survival of the strongest or even the fittest. It's, it's the species that live and thrive, the individuals, the people that live and thrive are the ones that adapt. And you've adapted. And so what that does, that, that's immense mental strength and inner power. You're going to have other times in life where you have to adapt. We just talked with Kimberly in Sweden, and she's having to adapt to the fact that she's going to have to start a whole new relationship. And she's got a few years on you. 
you're getting this good training of having to adapt to new circumstances and change my mental outlook and find things that, I like your word, passions, that get you excited about life again. So all of this that you're going through right now, as much as it sucks ass, is such huge training for life because I guarantee you, my listeners, every single one of my listeners has had transitions and they've had things they've had to adapt to. So to get this ability, you're how old? 22. You're 22. To have this ability to adapt and to figure it out at age 22 is a huge, huge blessing that you can't even see yet fully. You will get to 33 or 41 or whatever, and you'll be like, my God, I have this ability. I've done this before. All right, this is, I can do this. I can do this. And maybe it won't be medical. Maybe it'll be, you know, loss of a good friend, or it'll be the, you know, death of a, you know, favorite mentor or whatever it might be. Um, and so it doesn't feel like a blessing, but the fact that you've already come this far and done so well, uh, really surviving something that a lot of people would really struggle with and you have turned it into, you know, you did it. And now the next step is, all right, I've shown myself I can survive. I've shown myself that I can make it, but now I got to infuse life with some joy is what I hear you saying. And what that's going to take is you just doing it. Does it sound like it might be somewhat doable for you? Oh, well, yeah, for sure. All right. So let me ask you one last question. What's your last question for me? And maybe you don't have one, but what what's one last question or one last thing you're wrestling with or unsure of that you want to ask about or talk about? Hmm. And maybe there's nothing. I don't think I have anything for you. We have solved all the world's problems, Angie. You and I, right here, <laughs> right now, you and me, we did it. We did it. It's nice to hear you smiling. That's good. And, and uh, you know, so many people with medical issues. And so to have you on and talking about yours, I know a whole lot of people can relate to it and what a massive adjustment it has been for you. And it is for my listeners too. Uh, and we all get them at some point in life. We're all going to get them. So for you to have figured out how to adapt at a young age, and it may not be till 85 till you get them, but you'll have been through it. And you've mastered yourself. And that's huge. That's huge, Angie. So I actually want to thank you for being on, Angie. And I want to tell you, um, I really do hope, and I know I speak for my listeners and my producers, that I really do hope that you'll go after those passions. And at the very least, just try the pottery. And, you know, do one more class of yoga a week. Or, you know, rather than twice a month, do it, you know, once a week. Start with that and just see how your body feels learning how to breathe and breath work and getting more conscious of yourself, um, which yoga is so good about. Um, I, I support you 100% in that, Angie. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show because I know a lot of people can relate with what you're talking about. Thank you, Sven. Yeah, I think, well, pain is such a huge part of life. Um, I hope people got as much out of this as I did. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in and listening to the stories of Kimberly and Angie. And we're so grateful that uh, Angie opened up and Kimberly opened up. And on behalf of my producing team, uh, KC and Rob standing, sitting next to me. I don't know why I said standing, sitting next to me. How are you, how are you doing, Rob, after that episode? I'll sit down now. <laughs> that was a good episode. Yeah. Really interesting it, story. Something for everyone. It really was tonight. It really was. I 
pole dancer with medical issues is that's interesting. That is interesting. And so again, to everyone tuning in from around the world, from the Scandinavian countries to Australia, from my dear friends in Ireland, Scotland, and uh, all of the UK, and of course, all across the United States, Chicago, Minneapolis, Madison, Wisconsin, and all points west, east, north, and south, and everyone up in Canada, thank you so much for tuning in and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.